Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we are doing a roundtable about media literacy with three very special guests. So we have uh, Mighty Ox, Mariana Ox. Uh, she's a designer, journalist, and educator. After an international career as a magazine art ed director, she became interested in preparing youth for an active and healthy participation in the digital environment. She's a Google innovator and trainer, supporting teachers in Brazil. She's a coordinator of Brazilian media education program, Educa Media, and co-author of their Media Literacy Guide. Hi, Mariana. It's amazing to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm good. So, so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I think we're going to have uh, lots to talk about. A lot of interesting topics here. Uh, and we also have another Mariana, Mariana Filizola. She's the coordinator of media education at the Ministry of Social Communications of the Brazilian Presidency. Mariana has a master's in art in digital media and education from University College London. She has previously worked in communication advisory roles in the Amazonas state public sector in the fields of education, culture, and youth, and NGOs related to environmental misinformation and media education in the Amazon region. Hi, Mari, how are you doing today? Hi, very nice to meet you guys and to be here. Very excited. And I agree with the other Mari, we have a lot to talk about. A lot to talk and super, super important topics as well. And to complete uh, our roundtable, we have Faye Crawford. She's a student at Minerva University, currently preparing for her second year of study. She's excited to pursue a major in social sciences concentrated in economics. Faye is passionate about development and education, especially in her home country, South Africa. How are you doing today, Faye? Very well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. As you, as you all can see, it's going to be a really, really good conversation today. So let's start with Mari Ox. So Mari, can you give us an overview of how the traditional education system was tailored to meet the needs of the past and how contemporary developments like the widespread access to information, the democratization of content creation, and the rise of artificial intelligence are driving us to reimagine re and modernize our educational approach. That's a lot of changes, isn't it? <laughs> That's a lot, lot going on, a lot going on. Um, you know, Anytime we have such disruptive, disruptive changes in the way we produce and circulate information and knowledge, uh, it's going to affect education. And, uh, you know, we're in a context where we want education to be more student-centered, and we have been questioning for a good couple of decades now how we can do this, because um, the educational system that's based on transmitting information to the student um, in a sort of a one-way direction, uh, served its purpose because it was very well tailored to a certain type of economy, right? It was sectorized. People had to be prepared to do certain functions. They needed specialized knowledge for those types of professions. So it made sense to acquire uh, a sort of a, a, you know, a specific and finite amount of knowledge that was tailored to a certain area of, of expertise or career, uh, but now, um, in the information era, we're dealing with different kinds of problems, and we're dealing with different kinds of professions. Um, we're dealing with complex problems in the uh, innovation areas, what we like to call wicked problems, right? And that can only be addressed in a very multidisciplinary fashion. So if you take, for example, the um, climate crisis and uh, things like you have to look at things like environmental racism. You have to look at things like uh, science and the atmosphere. Uh, you have to look at science denial that's happening in media and social media environments. So all these things intertwine. So we look at an education that uh, responds to this uh, different type of need, and, and it needs to uh, form um, people to sort of trap, you know, move around different areas. Um, there's also a tremendous amount of, of knowledge and information available to our students even before they reach our schools. 
And then the problem becomes something else. How do we prepare them to look at this uh, information environment that's so rich and yet so laden with challenges in a critical way? in a critical, ethical, and responsible way. Not only at the messages that are circulating so that you know what's good, what's reliable, but also at the way that the whole system is built and functions because even the technology we use can be perpetuating social injustices, can be perpetuating biases and things like that. So um, changes in the information environment and changes in the education uh, system and the possibility for students to be much more autonomous in the way they acquire knowledge are redefining education and the role of teachers, right? There, there was a lot, of, you know, every, every uh, phrase you said, I just felt that we could be discussing for hours, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure you all feel it, the same. It was a big question. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, um, Mari, and so, you know, to, to your side, how, how do you feel public policies play this pivotal role in facilitating, facilitating schools' adaptations to this evolving landscape? And, and adding to that, is there the will to change? Okay, so, well, after Mari said, my, my head is exploring <laughs> yes. everything I wanted to talk about, but let's focus on what you've asked. And I no, 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 no. You can comment anything. You're free. <laughs> you, you know, this is, this, is, this is a debating space. So please. Good. Great. Well, so I super agree with Mari that uh, the education as the way that it was uh, 20, 30 years ago, it made sense here in Brazil, for example. But now we are facing new challenges and we need to prepare students for these uh, new scenarios we're going to face and that we are already facing right now concerning the digital landscape. So when you, you asked about how can public policies help in this, I think we need to focus on three main points. Uh, the first one is about curriculum integration. So we need to talk about how to integrate uh, these abilities and these new sorts of literacy in the, in the curriculum in schools. Mm -hmm. But we also need to think about teacher training. So how are we also preparing educators for that? and focusing on a digital citizenship education. So in a broader way to think about how we are fostering that. Uh, and yes, there is a will to do that now in the Brazilian government, uh, especially considering all the challenges we've been facing in the last four years concerning uh, fake news and you know all this challenging uh, landscape in the digital world. So this government is really willing to find ways to promote digital and uh, media literacy as well. And, you know, we have a, a national curriculum guideline here in Brazil, the BNCC, as we call, that already has pointed some, uh, some abilities uh, linked to media literacy, media education, and all these things related to the digital culture. But I think that what we need right now are solid policies to make this, you know, uh, to, as we say in Brazil, to sair do papel, so to leave the paper and to meet reality. So these yeah. are the main challenges now. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, uh, it, it's good to know about this effort. So this is something new to me. And actually, Mighty Ox was the one to tell me about that, right, Mighty? And she said, you have to talk to Mariana Venezuela. And, and so it, it, at least it's, it, it gives me some hope. But I know that the challenges are many and we're still getting into that. And uh, Faye, uh, you know, just uh, as I told Mari, feel free to, to jump in into everything that was said, but also uh, focusing on uh, your current uh, and life situation right now. And that's why I thought it would be so important to have a student here with us, because you're literally living uh, this area in which uh, it's... You know, modernizing the education uh, system is it, it becomes even more pressing, at least for teachers, when tools like artificial intelligence, but many others, became uh, in hands of everybody else, and and uh, all those discussions around algorithms. I've never heard of. It was also the first time I came into Minerva University. It was our dear friend and future hacker as well, Roger Spitz, that was kindly enough to make those introductions. And I, what I've seen is that a very forward-looking university. And I'd love if you could share this experience of, you know, how are you being equipped 
to navigate and harness those advancements in tools and technology within this evolving uh, landscape. Sure. So when I tell people about my choice to go to Minerva, a lot of them are skeptical because it's so new. Um, Minerva has, you know, less than five graduating classes and it's still in its real fledgling stages as a university, especially compared to these institutions that have been around for decades or centuries. But I think Minerva's newness is the thing that has maybe the most benefit for me as a student. Um, I was as um, Murray Ox was talking and, and saying, you know, this idea of interdisciplinary um, interdisciplinary approaches to wicked problems, this idea of doing away with the one way teaching approach and redefining what it means to be a teacher and a lecturer, especially I think lecture halls and universities are particularly prone to this one way drone teaching style. And I was just thinking, you know, tick, 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 because what I get to do at Minerva is this incredibly discussion-based, forward-looking academic system where uh, we are we're on an online platform for every class. And if the professor speaks for more than, I think it's like three minutes um, without stopping, then they get a notification to tell them to stop and hand, hand the conversation back over to students. And it's this incredibly interdisciplinary approach. You know, every first year student has to take courses in arts. Every first year student has to take courses in machine learning. Every first year student has to take courses in politics and economics. So they I feel as though I'm really being groomed for exactly the landscape that is being described. What a dream. <laughs> Absolutely. Such a good case study for us, right? And and in, and, yes. so it's, um, and this is exactly what we're talking about. It's just, um, it makes no sense to have lectures. We need to have inquiry-based learning, right? Yeah. And yes. then we need yes. to equip the students with the skills so that they can access information, analyze information, curate information, and also create and publish and participate in an ethical and responsible way. And uh, Mighty Ox, I believe there's a term that you used, and correct me if I'm wrong, that is learn how to learn, right? So, you know, this is all the skills around that. Yes. So, you know what, let's go a little back to the basics, you know, for people that are uh, watching us now. Uh, maybe not everybody is um, used to the term media literacy. So back to you, Mighty Ox. So what, what is media literacy and how uh, should it be integrated not only within schools? And until now, we've been talking about schools and universities, but also to, you know, organizations, uh, government, associations. Because thinking now about, you know, if you have a big company, people should know, you know, people should know how it works. It's, it's not just about the students and, and the younger generation, but it's a lot about, you know, you know, older people and everybody, everybody, right? Media so could we cover that? Yeah, media literacy is for everybody. It's an essential skill for being a citizen in the 21st century. Um, it means being able to access, um, analyze, evaluate, create, um, and share information, which is just what I described. This is actually the most widely accepted uh, definition, which is the one adopted by, namely, the National, the American Association of Media Literacy Education. And so being media literacy, literate, sorry, being media literate has to do with the ability to navigate this very complex information environment. But it's also, it's also been a changing definition because uh, media literacy in the 70s was very much concerned with a sort of mitigating the harmful, the potentially harmful effects of mass media, right? Movies, television, violence, and things that could affect children in a negative way. And so as the media landscape evolves and as the forms of producing and circulating information evolve, so does the definition of media literacy. And now we're looking at things. And so we have information literacy, news literacy, which concerns itself specifically with reading news and trying to spot disinformation and misinformation and all the variations, you know, therein. Um, and, and now most recently we have uh, started talking about algorithmic literacy which is a look at how the computerized environment, the numeric environment, and how the datafication of society plays into the way we're able to access and build knowledge. And the way we're able to access and build knowledge has to do not only with the way we learn, but also with the way we build our visions of the world. 
And if we're being separated into polarized, antagonizing uh, realities or filter bubbles, or if we're looking at things and we don't know if they're real or if they've been fabricated by an artificial intelligence, um, this all has to become part of the arsenal of uh, decoding media and uh, creating a more um, um, uh, evidence-based vision of reality. And so mm -hmm. in this sense, it's for everybody. And when we talk about digital inclusion, um, you know, that doesn't mean just be having internet access. That, that definition no longer holds. Now, not only you have to have internet access, but you also have to have these skills because without them, you just don't know what you're looking at or you're not, you don't have the confidence um, to access information, which is a right, which is a fundamental right. And it allows you to make independent and well-informed choice for your life, your private life and public life. As in, for example, public health issues, which we just lived through so dramatically. Right. So, yeah. so it is for everybody. And, 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 I, and the fact is that it will only get more complex. Right. And, uh, and when you use the term evidence based, based, for example, uh, until recently, you know, uh, we, 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 we would see maybe, you know, videos and photos, and this would be enough for us to believe, okay, that, that that's a proof. And for, you know, from today already on, it will just get more complex because we, we are also fabricating that, right? If, if people have trouble currently identifying simple uh, fake news that, you know, more trained eyes just by the, the subtitles would already know, it's now also about... Uh, images and sounds and videos and deep fakes are getting even harder and we really not only need to to educate people around that but also have safeguards and technological safeguards also to 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 counterproof that right so it's not it's not getting easier right <laughs> no um, but let me just say something before you move on to somebody else really quickly sure sure it really comes down it looks very complicated um and because we're late because we're about 20 yes. years late in educating for information in a very fastly changing environment, right? An environment that has these disruptive innovations. But it's really about taking a step back and reflecting and looking at context um, yeah. and analyzing and interrogating the information instead of just simply consuming and asking something that's one of my favorite things is to look at something and say, what does this message want from me? What's at play here? And looking at context and and you know before people think that this is too complicated we can do this with kids even before they learn how to read and write and i just saw the other day a really wonderful activity for um elementary school kids which was around dinosaurs and they were shown a video game they were shown a cartoon they were shown um, a national geographic story or a tv special they were they were shown things that were science and they were shown things that were entertainment and they were shown a toy packaging that had this dinosaur eating like the Hot Wheels little cars with a big mouth. And they had to identify what was real, what was fiction, what was evidence-based, what was entertainment, what was information. And you can that's do that with marvelous. kids and that's how yeah. you start. So we're late, but it's not impossible. Oh, no, definitely no. And, and so, Mariana Felizola, let's get into that. Uh, so, which do you believe are the, those main challenges when it comes to making these integrations happen? Uh, well, I think we have many challenges, but I just wanted to uh, address something that Marioff says about how late we are. Because when we talk about education, we see all these challenges, but we can also look at the part of regulation when it comes to the Internet and platforms, etc. So we are now um, discussing in Brazil, especially for Faye, I don't know if you've heard about it, the fake news bill here, which is a very slow process and very complex to try to regulate digital platforms. But we are already late because we yeah. should be talking about, uh, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, for example. So it's a long process, even though in Brazil we are very ahead when it comes to regulating this thing. So we have the civil uh, law of the internet, the Marcus yeah. Review from 2013, which was, you know, uh, we were ahead of many countries in the world with that. But but still, we are late because technology is evolving 
very, very fast and we're not keeping track both in education and in regulation. So the challenges are, are enormous. But yeah. And, and Mari, so b before you move, and, and I, I'd like to comment on that as well, because then there is this issue around educating the legislators as well. And not only about, and, and, and that's definitely not a Brazilian issue, it's uh, everywhere, worldwide, and it's everybody talking about that. Uh, and, and again, not only, not only educating legislators, this is important enough, but also in making sure that all different uh, um, parts of society are part of the discussion. So, uh, for instance, when we're talking about artificial intelligence, it's not about technology, right? It's having uh, philosophers and uh, social sciences and uh, psychoanalysts or whatever, you know, you, you have to have all parts that, that evoke human behavior and ethics and social studies. And it's not around, you know, a debate between legislators and Mark Zuckerberg. It's, it's, way, it's way beyond that. And to make sure that we're doing it in a way that it's going to be, uh, uh, it's around social justice, as, as Mighty Ox also commented as well. Right, uh, so there's you know uh, it's a bit challenges, and and as Mani said, there is there's a way. It's not, it's not that it's, it's impossible, but but you know things needs to move not only on a different speed, but also uh, with the diversity needed when it comes to 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 educating uh, the uh, whoever is making the decisions. Right? Yes, absolutely. And I think you 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 are just on point when you say this has to be an agenda. Uh, for everybody, you know, yeah. it's not a political agenda. We all need to yeah. dive into that because this is affecting everyone's life. So here in Brazil, we've seen uh, the terrible consequences of hate speech online in April mm -hmm. with terrible situations in schools, you know, uh, when all of this left the online environment to the real life environment having consequences you know people were killed and and things like that so i think this was a point in brazil where people started to shift that this was not a political agenda this was something that the whole society needed to be looking at and in this way we we uh here you know looking in terms of public policies we were thinking what can we do to make this go faster and how can we give educators uh you know things or materials or things to, to, to how, how can they talk about this in school with students how can parents talk about that with their sons and daughters at home so uh, we even had a, a project with uh, Educa Media that Mari was part of it as well Mari Ox where we gathered specialists together to think about how can we help and which materials can we give to help since we need to to combine efforts on legislation but also in education especially in moments of crisis like that. So yeah. I think obviously it was terrible what happened in Brazil, but it was also very important to make people aware that we all need to be embarking on this together, you know? Yes, yes, yes. So, and, and, and Madi, which other challenges are, are, are you facing for this integration to happen? So, and, 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 and as much as uh, we need, uh, legislation and we need guidance it, 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 it should it should be and I don't know how to say it but you know it, it, it's a political agenda but that shouldn't be connected to parties right it should be some you know so you know so yeah I think this is the first challenge yeah you know, understanding that this is a global agenda that we only yeah. talk talking about that and apart from that I think we we have we have to focus as well on the way we have this disparity in the access of technology, uh, but also an unequal media literacy, unequal media literacy opportunities for people, both in the formal education or beyond that. So I think these are really big challenges because, for example, last week we were in the Amazon region uh, in a big event here in Brazil, uh, discussing misinformation and environmental misinformation. And, uh, and people from the region, you know, uh, leaderships and young leaderships were telling us. So here, there are some companies who are offering uh, satellite access to the internet here, but you know, they, I don't, I don't remember the word in English, like, uh, you know, they, 
They co-opt. Yeah, 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 they co-opt this access. And so people are, you know, they have this access, but who is providing this? And what are they requiring uh, in exchange for that? So we have huge uh, challenges when it comes to the access, but also with media literacy opportunities. So we need to to see how we can tackle both of these things, uh, considering the the territory in Brazil and all of these disparities, the socio-economical disparities as well. So this is another big challenge. And well, this information, right? So we have people attacking, you know, in a very coordinated ways uh, to make this a political agenda, you know, an agenda of one party, of, of one ideology or something like that. So this is another big challenge that we need to be addressing to make things go faster. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, Mighty Ox, before we, 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 we jump to Faye, is there anything you'd like to comment? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling, I had a feeling. You see me writing. I mean, <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, you know, I just started, I just finished reading a book last night on the plane called Technology of the Oppressed by David Nimmer. Mm. And it's out because he's a, research, a Brazilian researcher working in the U.S. It's out in English as well. Um, and he talks about this sort of limited access to the Internet, right? How you have this sort of zero rating plans where people mm -hmm. have access to the Internet, but not they think they are on the Internet. But in reality, they have access to Facebook and WhatsApp. And that's the Internet that they know. Right? Mm -hmm. And that sort of shapes the possibilities that they have. But also their physical territory and their socioeconomical situation also shapes the interactions that they can have and the place that they can occupy, even in the digital spaces. So things are very interconnected. Um, and yes, we do need a, a social sciences lens. There's another really interesting book called The Fuzzy and the Techie. I don't know if you've, I don't know the author, but it's easy to find. It's been out for quite a few years. And it talks about how um, the social science are such an important component of understanding and promoting the technological revolution. Otherwise, we're going to build in um, injustice, right? And we're mm -hmm. going to build in social problems. Um, I just wanted to say, um, to uh, answer to something that you mentioned about educating legislators, It's very hard because these yeah. problems are uh, complex. These are these are wicked problems in of themselves, right? Um, and so we recently have uh, some discussions here in Brazil about banning cell phones um, in schools, right? Uh, there was a UN report which was widely misread. Mm -hmm. So what do the uh, mm. what does the press do? They take the sort of the clickbaity headline and they mm. say UN wants to ban cell phones from the schools which is not exactly what the report says at all, right? Um, but people read the headlines, and then because of the nature of the technological environment, which we should be teaching them, these sort of like shallow readings are spreading very fast and mm -hmm. separating people into thought bubbles and filter bubbles. So, you know, they're, they're taking part of this environment that we want to teach them about, um, in which they're learning very narrow and shallow ideas about what we have to do for this environment. So it is, um, you know, banning cell phones altogether is a very complicated issue because yes, we do have relationship issues and we do have attention issues, but the school is the space where we can interrogate and analyze some of these dynamics in a safe way where we can form new pacts. And this is what we need as a society is to form new pacts around technology around uh, platform democracy, for example, look for new ways of governing technology. And this has to be nonpartisan. Um, and it's complicated because the media environment itself sort of leads us to be partisan, right? Yeah. When the UN says it's a right, the UN says it's nonpartisan, and then the media, the social media environment leads people to say that the UN is communist, right? So. It gets complicated. It gets very meta. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a right for everybody, and it should be nonpartisan. Um, and and you know, educating the public is, is public and legislators and people that are going to be dealing with this is a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. And uh, you know, Faye, you you see that uh, you have a, a big responsibility here because you're our living case study, right? <laughs> so you know, you may you briefly mentioned to us how 
and and I really loved when you told me that. You know how how th those mandatory courses uh, during the first year and 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 media literacy is in there, and you have all those case studies uh, uh, based approach. So uh, can you tell us more about it? Sure. Um, if it's all right, I'd, um, I'd love to briefly comment on. Um, the idea of technology and everyone yes. sort of being brought to that fold. Um, I think something that I, you know, I am not a, um, I'm, I'm not the kind of person who would describe myself as techie. I'm not someone with a background in programming or even the slightest understanding of artificial intelligence or machine learning until about six months ago when I was forced to take courses in it through, <laughs> through my school. Um, and I think that it's, uh, it's just stereotype upon stereotype and barrier upon barrier that creates this elitist shroud around the field of technology and around technological advancement until we're convinced that you can't do it unless you, you know, you can't do it if you're a woman and you can't do it if you come from a developing country and you can't do it if you are a certain age, you know, if you're too young or you're too old or it came out when you were 50 or it came out when you were three. Um, and I think that, <laughs> Um, you know, the idea of bringing everyone into the society that we're trying to build with all of these different technological advancements is so important. And that's why I so valued um, you having to be brought into the foundational parts of that field through these courses. And I think, um, yeah, so, you know, this is just something that I was that I was definitely yeah. thinking about um, as others were speaking. And I think that ties into the very case study orientated approach that Minerva takes, that I've experienced at Minerva in their teachings um, in terms of, you know, we, we're exposed to a lot of different stuff on the internet and the case studies that I've worked through in homework and in class and in assignments range from very legitimate papers on the onset of climate change to infomercials about magic bracelets that improve your balance. And it's just this range of media and Minerva presents us with these sources and says, what do you think? Is this accurate? Is this reliable? Do you, do you like it? Does it matter if you like it? Do you trust it? Would you, would you send it on? Would you use it? Would you put it in your paper? And I think it's just uh, reframing uh, media as this thing that you always have to be looking at with your eyes just wide open and that becoming more and more true um, and, uh, you know, as we're encountering more and more advanced deep fakes, more and more advanced fake news, but also as we're just encountering dozens, if not, if not more than that, you know, hundreds of different sources of media and information in our daily lives. We, you know, you have to learn how to look at everything with a critical eye, which can be so tiring and is impossible if you don't have that skill set, um, exactly like others were saying right before me. That's a great point. Like, and, and, and you have to want that. And, and, and people are, you know, on a day to day generalizing, but you no, know, there's some laziness, you know, <laughs> behind us, right? It's like, you know, just go see. And I think it's a mix of laziness and also too much information and too much going on and a crazy uh, day to day experience that we're just, just, you know, try to prioritize. And, and you know, of course, oh, sorry about that. And, 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 uh, the thing is that, and, and, and Mighty Ox, I think you, you can speak uh, much better uh, about that uh, than me, but what I feel is that we have uh, this whole generation that, you know, a couple of decades ago, uh, the sources were very few, right? Very few, so like, you know, maybe you had three to five main sources, and even before that, you have the a collection of encyclopedia at home. So, you know, we didn't really have this chip of having to question so much. It's not there, like, imputed, right? We didn't have to question that much. And now that it's so fragmented and it's everywhere, it's all types and it's completely opposite views right there in front of you. 
And I think it's good when you have opposite views in front of you because what, what social media are doing through algorithm is just putting whatever you want to see in front of you, which is terrible because you never just see this. And it's this bubble that uh, Mariox has been talking about. Uh, and now there's this new chip that we have to put in there to be questioning and questioning. And like, it's, it's, it's like, why, why am I reading that? Why are they writing that? Uh, but uh, as you said, it's, it must be exhausting on the same time, right? But at least having this awareness that what you read, you know, is, is not, it's is like, it's, it's, you know, just go to different places to, 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 if you really want to understand about something, just try different, different places, different approaches. And I would, I, I would have this joke uh, here in Brazil and using some local examples. So sorry about that, Faye. It's just, you know, uh, just, uh, just subscribe to Veja and Carta Capital and, and try to find a way in the middle, you know, just, just try to find your own path because, you know, they, they're everywhere. And uh, Mari uh, Filizola, I, I did see you taking some notes. Is there anything you'd like to comment? Yeah, really, really quick, just before we move to Maniox, because uh, Faye has pointed some very interesting questions about how they entice you to learn and to question things. And I think this is really important in the context we live in. But we yeah. need to make these questions uh, starting from a point where we legitimize institutions, the scientific method, and journalism itself. Because what we have seen, especially with COVID, in here in Brazil, sorry to use Brazilian example again, is that people started to questioning many things, which is okay, as you know, this is how we learn. But at the same time, questioning uh, the basis of our own um, knowledge, right? The, the basis of science, of how we construct science yeah. and evidences and things like that. So I think we've come to a point where, where we need to so, uh, solidify these institutions and these methods. So we start making questions based on these things. You know, we, we are not starting from nowhere. We are starting from a solid base of knowledge that we have constructed as a humanity for many, many centuries. And, uh, and, and we need to start from that. So just this quick comment. I'm sorry, Mariox. <laughs> it's okay. I was going to mention that it's, it's an epistemological crisis, right? That, that we have right now. Um, and, um, it, it's really, it's really interesting that it all comes down, I think, in my view, to this whole learning to learn idea, right? And it's not new by any means, because I, you know, I, for one, I'm somebody who grew up with encyclopedias, right? I'm not at the three or 80 years old, but I'm like comfortably in the middle towards the upper part. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I had encyclopedias. I had school books. I had television and newspapers. Um, and you had to learn to be critical anyway, right? Because your school books were biased. Your TV report was biased. Um, the encyclopedia is biased. It's colonialist. It's racist. Yes. It's a number of things that we no longer accept. I mean, I, you know, I'd be curious to look at those old encyclopedias right now. Oh, my God. But the thing is the scale of it. And also the fact, I think, that the biggest change is that now anybody can make anything that will potentially reach a very large number of people very fast, right? And so um, because you have this sort of hyper-information environment, and I once heard a, a teacher uh, use a really wonderful image, it's like you have this hydrant, like throwing water at your face, this open hydrant, and you're trying to drink from it with a little teaspoon, mm. right? <laughs> and there's all different kinds of authors in there with different intentions in there, uh, but as Mari said, the thing that has not changed and cannot change, um, in fact, since the Greeks, is the method. It's interrogating, right? It's inquiry, is looking, reading laterally to see who's behind that information. Of course, this, this is now more complex, first of all, because of the sheer amount of information, the multiplicity of authors uh, and venues for publishing, but also things that plug, that are invisible, uh, more invisible and plug into our own uh, psychological biases or uh, manipulation or propaganda or theories, you know, cons conspiracy theories and all these things um, that people that are less information literate are very vulnerable to. So uh, I think that this is, this is really about learning to learn. And this is why it's so critical 
And this is why it's so transversal. I find it very curious to notice that um, we uh, at Educamedia, we are advising a number of sectors of government uh, around media literacy, but with different lenses. So yesterday we were at the Ministry of Human Rights and we're talking about media literacy and human rights, right? Because there's all mm -hmm. kinds of systems of social injustice that can be built into either media messages or the technology of the environment. Uh, with Mari's department in the communications department within the presidency, we're really concerned with disinformation and rumors and fake news and things around that. Uh, in the Ministry of Education, we're talking about curriculum, right? Uh, we're also talking about safety in schools because that's tied to a continuum of naturalizing violent rhetoric that starts with kids in their little WhatsApp groups, right? And can lead to bullying, can lead to exclusions, and can lead to and push people into radicalizing environments. So, um, but it's not new. I mean, having a critical eye to learn and learning to learn is is changing. Um, yeah. But it's always been there. Yes. Right? So, so I, I think that the more we can get uh, our, even our traditional education to understand that the environment has changed and we need to put students at the center of the process. We need to do what Faye is doing. We need to look at problems and we need to do inquiry-based learning um, so that in the process we also teach people how to learn. Exactly. And uh, something I'd like to put uh, on the table for discussion, uh, Mariox, is that um, there's this, 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 uh, another challenge that I see happening is that on the same time that uh, we need this, uh, let's say, protection against um, not only education, but you understand what I want to get in. This protection regarding the misinformation, when it comes and when there's uh, the consequences that you're just saying of social injustice and bullying and you know, and then you always have the group of people talking about the freedom of speech. But then you have the criminal expression that shouldn't be protected. So this balance between censorship freedom of speech, of, of speech, criminal expression. And sometimes it's not only criminal expression, but, but then it's just a, a, a people trying to defend their view, but that can have really bad consequences when it comes to trying to convince people of, of, of specific thoughts as well, right? So how to find this balance of trying uh, to, to somehow, or do you think that information shouldn't be protected, but we should be the ones to learn how to protect ourselves? Uh, no, no environment where people relate to each other can be devoid of laws, right? Mm. Uh, freedom of expression is not a free for all. Yeah. Freedom of expression has a legal limit and that's in our law. That's in our constitution. So the only thing we have to do is to uphold it. Uh, and people have to learn that because there is a, the, you know, because there is this tendency to radicalize this force and attack people, not discuss ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, people go to these easy sort of polarized views. If, if you're not us, you're against us, or your yeah. worldview is, is going to uh, make my existence or my worldview impossible. Um, and, and so we get into these things by the very nature of social media, but uh, the, uh, there are limits to freedom of expression. And, and we have legislation in Brazil for that. Um, and, and it has to be enforced. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the other phenomenon, which is quite different, is post-truth, where you somebody will say to you, well, I know you're proving me, you know, even in a sort of very civil way, uh, and calm way, that there is evidence that what I'm saying is, but I don't really care, because I don't like this politician, and I don't care that he didn't do this, but he could have done it, you know? So you get into these things, you get into post-truth. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and for that, there is no legal defense other than strengthening people's own critical abilities to look at contents, to look at intention, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the one thing that we have to be very careful uh, and pr protect at all costs is the trust in media. I mean, people, people sort of confuse uh, not trusting particular vehicles with not trusting the institution of journalism. Mm -hmm. There is no democracy without journalism. Right. And so 
Um, and we run into this problem a lot, um, just as we run into a type of problem when we train teachers to, to discuss fake news, for example, or disinformation in the school context, because, you know, fake news around politics is, is something very incendiary here, very yes. polarizing. Um, sometimes a teacher will say, well, you know, there's this sort of persecution climate in my school. Parents will denounce me or they will say, you know, I'm indoctrinating their kids. Uh, in the U.S., you see people trying to censor books, school books. So uh, how do we do how do we deal with that? Well, we say yeah. we need to teach the skill and we're not going to do this using the more polarizing examples. We're not going to do this using examples from political news. We're going to do this with more harmless content in the hopes that once we teach the skills, the teens and the kids and even the teachers themselves will be able to apply these, these things uh, to a different set of context, to a different set of news. And, and if we teach people how to critically examine information, hopefully we can preserve trust in journalism as an institution, even as they learn to identify that some uh, vehicles, communication vehicles, have a political agenda have an economical agenda, or are very biased. Right. Yes. Mari. Uh, well, this is a, a very complex, uh, a delicate matter, right? When we talk about freedom of speech, and it's very easy to, to pick this and make it a partisan issue. You know, we, we've seen that a lot in the U.S., Anyway, so I think freedom of expression, is, we need to see it in its collective dimension. So looking at it in a collective dimension makes it easier to understand that we all have the right to the integrity of information, right? So we don't need to, see, we cannot see uh, freedom of expression as the right of one person only. And when we talk about this collective dimension, I think it's easier to understand why we are talking right now about uh, the regulation of platforms, for example, because mm -hmm. we are talking about uh, the moderation of content, which is explicitly legal. So we're not talking about tackling someone's right. We're talking about what is legal and what is not. So just as Mariok says, there is a limit. And if someone tells you there is no limit, then they are trying to you know, manipulate what we understand as, as freedom in the end, right? Because, the, again, we go to the to the Greeks, just as Mari mentioned, to talk about freedom as well and what we understand by that. And this is something we need to bring to our reality in the digital world as well. So how do we consider these aspects? Uh, so, yeah, I think this is a, a delicate balance, but it's very easy to see that we need to tackle it in a collective dimension to make it work as a collective right as well. I'm curious, uh, if, if, I'm sorry, uh, Mari, and I know that uh, w there's the, the risk of, of, uh, of Faye disappearing all of a sudden, and that's because she might face a, a blackout soon. So <laughs> before, before we lose her. <laughs> so uh, Faye, I'm curious if this, this, so this type of discussion, uh, at least here in Brazil, and I think a little in the US as well, especially regarding all oh, the freedom of, of expression versus censors and things like that is very strong. Is this something that you see out there as well and how is this being discussed as well in your environment um yeah so i absolutely agree and really resonate with everything that um, yeah. both of the muddies were were speaking to um i've actually had the privilege to intern um in a journalist and writing capacity with an organization um, these last couple months and so i've had the chance to research and write and have several pieces published and i've learned through that a lot about what it means to really seek out something that's true, something that's evidence-based. Um, and I think just something that I, uh, so, uh, um, something that is emphasized in, um, in as much as I feel as though I have a lot of freedom to explore and critique what's put in front of me at Minerva. I also feel as though I have very concrete and test, tried and tested things like the scientific method, like the power of journalism and seeking true evidence put in front of me simultaneously so that I can reach the conclusion uh, you know, well-reasoned and on my own, but reach it nonetheless that the, the very legitimate article about the onset of climate change is something I should put in my paper and a video about a magic bracelet is something that I shouldn't. Because I think at the end of the day, there is such a thing as uh, good information and bad information. There is such a thing as, uh, you know, freedom of speech and 
the barrier there and things like hate speech and things that we don't want existing in our societies that make people unsafe, that make our societies things that we don't want to be building. And so I think putting those boundaries in place is really delicate. And uh, that's something that I think South Africa talks about a lot. It's something the US talk, uh, seems to talk about a lot. Um, and I experienced a lot of discussion of that when I was there. Um, but ultimately, just finding those boundaries is so important to creating a space of truth um, and to creating a space of, um, you know, the kind of society and the kind of place that we all want to live. Great. Thank you so much. Fai. And Fai, if you have to, you know, if, if you vanish, I just want to like to thank you so much in advance. <laughs> You stay there, you stay there, but uh, yeah, go ahead, buddy. I love that she has a tube, like a, you know, like a, a tube that she will, will catapult her to another dimension. I wanted to, uh, to point some, I, I thought of something because we were talking about the Greeks, right? Um, and, and some of our own tried and true methods uh, and we have to be very careful that our tried and true methods don't obfuscate some other cultures as well. Mm, tried yeah, and true sure. methods or visions or cosmovisions. Um, and I was reminded of this because we talked about the Greeks and a Brazilian writer that I heard recently said something very funny. Somebody asked of him, well, you know, uh, was philosophy invented by the Greeks? And he turned around and said, well, Greek philosophy was. <laughs> That's a great answer. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a great answer. We and we yeah. cannot lose track of that because one yes. of the things that we do need to do and that we couldn't in the time of encyclopedias, but in this media environment, is make space for other voices, make space for other visions of the world, make space for other ethics, make space for things that have other notions of time and productivity in relation to the environment and justice that takes into account other living systems and yeah. other systems that are maybe not even human, human and non-human and how they interact. Um, I, I'm just reading James Bertel's uh, Way of Being, which is a fascinating book. And I'm sort of obsessed about this topic of existing in between the different species, human and non-human systems. But um, so, you know, this is a great opportunity too, since we are, uh, you know, questioning the limits of what is uh, intelligence um, of what is human, uh, of what is ethical, why not take this opportunity to sort of open the gates a little bit and let other visions and other voices in. I think that's very, very important. Perfectly put. Marifi Dizola. Yeah, I think this is, is the, it's the good side of being, uh, you know, navigating this overload of information, right? We, we have seen the challenges, but we also need to, to focus on, on what we can gain with that, right? So having the views from different uh, societies and learning from them, just as you said, learning about philosophy from others than the Greeks, right? <laughs> yeah. So absolutely yeah. agree, Mari. We have a, a world literally to explore. Yes. And oh, listen, uh, so for people that are you know more interested about this topic this is was just such a scratch a scratch of the surface right and it, it's already an hour <laughs> and i just felt that we had still so much to discuss but you know people that are interested and want to get more informed especially even though know, if they're interested in either from the education system or for a, a private companies or association so which are the way to go? Uh, both Maris here uh, as a Brazilian reference and, and Faye, if you're still there, if you have also any international references for people, you know, any advice? Faye, I think you should start considering you're about yeah. to be abducted. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I'm probably a very poor person to give advice on this because it's something that I'm in the very early fledgling stages of navigating myself. Um, but I think it's just, it's been so eye-opening to me how when you put your mind to reading uh, widely and to discovering new skill sets um, that seem completely outside of your comfort zone, 
you can accomplish that. You can gain knowledge on things you didn't think that you would ever know about. You can gain skill sets you thought were out of your reach for reasons that you might have been taught your entire childhood, your entire life. Um, and it's it's possible to do that. And I think that's been some that's been a really important part of media literacy for me is not locking myself out of knowing what's going on in the world around me because I think I don't have the know-how or I don't have the skills or I don't deserve to understand what I'm reading and what I'm interacting with. Beautiful. I, I was um, going to say, I, I was for a while, for some five years, I was one of the ambassadors of an organization called Chicas Poderosas, mm. which concerned itself with including more women in digital journalism, because as journalism was becoming a very technological profession, and there is a very serious gender gap in, in technology, uh, we realized that, you know, if women weren't becoming, becoming journalists because journalism was becoming a technological profession, we were going to have, uh, you know, one side of the story left out um, in terms of uh, story choices, in terms of visions, in terms of, uh, you know, topics. So um, this is a very important thing to look at, you know, gender equality uh, and, and equality in general uh, in terms of who is telling stories and also... Um, what we can access, and I, I think it's really beautiful. I, you know, I, I, I get very happy uh, when when people say things like they just said. You know, yes, we can, we can do it. It's possible, and I, there's no reason for me to be left out. There's no barrier for me to knowing this, uh, and we see this with teachers all the time, right? We we tell them just to see themselves as more as as part of this, Im, Im, implicate themselves into this chain of consuming and producing information and realizing that they're a part of it and taking that first step of consciousness is opens a million doors, right? So um, it's, it's this, I think this is really important. Um, and in terms of, of informing and, and researching and looking for organizations, I think lots of different countries um, have national organizations. There's also a number of international organizations that are pushing the agenda of media literacy and information literacy. Um, namely, it's just one of them, the UN, um, the Gap Mill, Media Information Alliance is another one of them. So um, in Europe, there's a number of initiatives. So wherever you are, I think that there is really good resources to be found. Awesome, awesome. And uh, Mari Filizola? Uh, well, I think I'm, I'm going to give some, uh, some references that were really helpful to me. Uh, I think if you want to learn a little bit more about media literacy, media education, and how the people are studying it and seeing it in the context that we are now, there are three authors that are really nice to understand this landscape. The first one is David Buckingham that Maddie knows, which is a brilliant uh, English uh, professor who's been studying it, and he's very critical to many, many aspects of the thing. So is a nice one to start. And the other one is Paul Mihailidis. I think he's... he's Civic, media Civic Media Literacy. Yes, because he brings an approach about how we can uh, see media literacy in the civic space, you know, considering this new citizenship that we need to, to start building now. And also, as Mari mentioned, Post Truth. I think Matthew Duncan's book is a classic. I think it's called Post Truth. <laughs> and it's really nice to understand as well. But another thing that is really nice to to help us uh, to exercise our media literacy skills is to revisit the old classics of literature and you know cinema and things like that with the lenses of today. So I think this is a good exercise, you know, to reread uh, books uh, that in Brazil, as we say, that are canceled, sometimes with the lenses that we have now and discussing it, you know, bringing the views that we have today, what we believe, uh, I think it's a good way to start as well. You know, I feel that uh, you all made uh, such an important topic uh, beautifully. <laughs> and, you know, I, I hope this is an episode that inspires people uh, because it's, it, it's you know, uh, you, you brought really uh, important points of view, but in a very uh, inspiring way. So I'd like to thank you all. If any of you would like to have any final words, please be my guest. But here, uh, thank you for you all. It's been really very informative and I hope that inspires people to be more aware and look for more information as well. 
Thank you, Maria. And I, you know, I think that right now you have a list of like 12 other topics that you can do. Uh, <laughs> exactly, <on>. exactly. <laughs> it was such a, work. <laughs> such a scratch on the, first, on the surface, right, Maria? It was a, just a, this... Just to start, it was the, 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 the appetizer, right? <laughs> it's, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for the invitation and the opportunity to be here with these great minds, too, and, and uh, you know, and, and question some of the things that we have going on in the world right now. Absolutely. Uh, just the same. I'm very, very happy to be here. And I mean, I, I've already known Maddie Ox, and it's always great to hear what she has to say and to learn from her references. I've, I always write everything. She'd be like, ah, oh, this book, this author. So I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and Faye was amazing to meet you as well. It's really good to have, uh, to know that we have inspiring people, uh, you know, starting this new environment when it comes to learning. So very, very inspiring to meet you. Thank you. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me. And it was uh, so wonderful and so enlightening and so inspiring to uh, just sit here and soak up all the wisdom um, that um, you all were sharing in the last hour. So thank you so much for allowing me. And you stayed until the end. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> thanks, everybody. And thanks for watching, everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.